Town Hall Academy, episode 77. There's so many other pieces to it. I mean, we, we had, you know, when you talk about standards, we had a whole description of standards for the car. You know, what is a leak? What is a seat? What is a drip? Uh, yeah. When do we tell the customer, I'm sorry, you can't drive that car? Uh, you know, when do we suggest coolant hoses or, or shocks and struts? What, you know, what are the defining things that say this is legitimate, this is not legitimate in our business, at least for our, our, our business? Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hello and welcome to the Remarkable Results Radio's Town Hall Academy. How you doing? Carm Capriato here. Hey, have you ever thought about the power of standards? Everything that your company stands for and exactly how you do business? You've either created your own standards to ensure your success or your business is running you. You're in for some sobering thoughts from our business coaches panel with Bob Greenwood from Automotive Aftermarket E-Learning Center, Cecil Bullard from the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence, and Jude Larson from the ACT Group. Carm Capriato here thanking Jasper Engines and Transmissions for their support of the Town Hall Academy. Here are important facts about Jasper. Now, they have over 2,000 associates, three manufacturing facilities, two distribution centers, and 45 branch offices across the country. They're all working to produce, transport, and deliver the perfect product. And that's what they do best at Jasper. Keep customers happy so you can. Hey, be sure to check out the new podcast offering. It is a great fit into the content library. The new show is called For the Record, and it is an opine or rant from one of your industry's colleagues, a short but intense rhapsody from a peer. This is in the style of the op-ed section of your newspaper. The intention is to push a few boundaries and create a future dialogue. These short opines will get you thinking. Find the For the Record streamed right on your listening app or on the Remarkable Results Radio website at remarkableresults.biz. So glad you're joining other aftermarket professionals on the Aftermarket Super Learning Highway. Our intention is to help bring fresh and innovative discussion to inspire and grow individuals and companies. Now you're with Academy Episode 77 and the Business Coaches Lab Series, and this time we discuss standards. Now, standards in a business is the bar, the the ruler, the one that sets the level of quality, service, expertise, experience, caring, and engagement. The problem is, so many times the owner is so busy doing whatever he's doing in his business, mistakenly believing his job is to make sure the cars are fixed, that they forget about the standards that set the tone and the pulse of the business when it comes to customers, processes, training, conduct, dress code, ethics, financial execution, and performance, among others. You do not want your standards to be set by others, so you must create them. And if not, chaos is ensured, and as Cecil Bullard says, in business there's no floating. You either go up or you go down. Now listen to Conversations Worth Hearing with Bob Greenwood, Cecil Bullard, and Jude Larson. Find my guests' bios and the links to their previous episodes and their companies, along with the key episode talking points at remarkableresults.biz slash A077. Hey, your learning curve never sounded this good. Hey, look at business standard. You know, the business coaches lab is just, you know, just great idea to, you know, get our team together maybe every five or six, seven weeks and, and bring up one new additional, um, area of expertise that these coaches work with their with their uh, clients on if you recall last time rick 
White was with us, and it was Rick who suggested to me, Carm, we have to do, we have to do standards. And, and I said, great, Rick. I love it. And he sent me this great dissertation, and he couldn't be here. But here's what, here's what Rick wrote, that standards for him in a business is the bar, the ruler, the one that sets the level of quality, service, experience, caring, and engagement. He also went on to say, the problem is so many times the owner is so busy doing whatever he's doing in his business, mistakenly believing his job is to make sure cars are fixed. And they forget about the standards that they need to make and set. So with that, Jude, I want to go to you first. And, and I think one of, you know, there's so many things we're going to talk about. In fact, Jude wrote to me and he said, Carm, this could be a 40-part series. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you're probably right, but we'll try to really condense it and, and bring some great value to it. Customer standards. Who's our customer? I mean, if there was, a, if there was something to set a bar, it would, it would be the, you know, the, the customer, the level of service and who that ideal customer is. Sure. And um, to steal one of the talking points a little bit from Murray, since he's not here anyway, he talked a bit about that, about having to identify that we're not all the same. And so each shop has to figure out, each business has to figure out who is their customer. Um, I actually uh, struggled for a few years um, doing consulting, wanting everybody to uh, adhere to my standard. My standard is I want to squeeze every last molecule of profit that you can out of a business without compromising quality or customer service or any of that. But I've met people over the years that that, that's not theirs. So, and I've tried to push mine on them, but we have to set our own. So for the customers, they have to be able to know who are you going after? Who are you, who are your people? Who are what's your ideal customer look like? How do they how do they act? Where do they live? What kind of car do they drive? Uh, what do they care about? What's what are their heart concerns that you can meet um, so you can begin to build that relationship with those people? Because if, if you're just picking anybody, if you're just letting any car that comes in, any person that comes in, anything comes in, that's chaos. You know, it's, it's it, it needs to be. Um, built around what your business model is, and each individual business has to decide what that is. It's even worse in in the fact that if I'm bringing the wrong people into my business, it actually makes my business more difficult, and I can't make uh, uh, people happy. Um, you know, if 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 you define your business very specifically around your client and what you have to offer, your standard, whatever that is. And then that's the person that you attract and bring into your business. I, I always teach marketing in the sense that my marketing is supposed to do two things for me, not just one. It's not just supposed to find customers and bring them in my door. It's, it's really all about making money. But if, if you do your marketing right, it's actually going to chase some people away from you. Those customers that are not going to appreciate or like what you have to offer, they shouldn't come in your store. And there's a, there's a, there's a huge variance in how people feel and think about this. I mean, there's a lot of people out there going, look, you got to grab everybody because you have to make a profit. And then there's people like myself saying, look, you know, you, you should actively be chasing away some of your potential clients and, and even some of your clients because they don't fit in your business and you can't make them happy. See, so that's a, I totally agree with you on that. I, I use the term client and I, I teach my clients to build a client strategic business. Now think about that. Not a customer-based business, a client-based business. And the term client uh, denotes responsibility. 
Uh, the term client means you have a relationship in place with the individual. And it is your professional responsibility to ensure their vehicle is safe, reliable, and efficient. And that's what they're hiring you for. I need that relationship. And when you look at standards, it's one of the things that really frustrates me in the industry is that there is no definition of a comprehensive inspection across North America. I've talked to shops where they say a comprehensive can be done in 20 minutes. Another shop, it's an hour and a half. Uh, there's no definition. And the reason I talk about comprehensive inspections is because that gets you the entire file on the vehicle. So now that I can counsel my client for safety, reliability, and efficiency, and draw the timelines based on how they use the vehicle and their expectations with the vehicle, that's a different standard. That's not building car count. That's building build hours into the vehicle with each and every client, which is working smarter instead of harder. Yet everybody talks about, I'll take anybody who comes through the door. I totally dis disagree with that. The unfortunate thing is, is that most shops do not know how to calculate their net profit per build hour. And 60% on average of the business that's coming through the door does not create $1 of net profit. It's mathematically impossible to create net profit on every transaction. But if you can get yourself down to 40%, your bottom line soars. Now, yeah. the standard is, how do we learn that? The, the, if, if you, there's a book, uh, Markets, of, Markets of One. Um, I, I can't remember who wrote it. There's also a, a, a short video that kind of plays through that. And it basically says that there are two types of people in this survey they did, uh, uh, I don't know, 30,000 people over some long 10 years in the United States, uh, England, and um, uh, New Zealand, uh, or Australia. Um, and um, the two types of people are the discount, um, hey, I want a deal person, and then there's the person that wants to be a client, wants the relationship, et cetera. And, and the guy that wants a deal yeah, the, the, is responsible for none of the profits. I mean, it's virtually no profit in that particular market. And if you're working with the relationship customer, they're responsible for like over 90% of the profit in companies. Um, I, I think there's another aspect kind of to this also, you know, I, a while back I had someone working in my company and, and um, they, they, they wanted to do a deal with another company uh, so because the, the company was going to market us and it would be beneficial, get our name out there. But the company, in my opinion, is not doing what is good for the industry. So I wrote this three page ethics document for my company saying, you know, this is what we believe in and this is what we're going to do. And this is these are the kinds of people that we will work with. And, and, and I did that for my company so that we could make good decisions moving forward. And, and, and how many owners of automotive shops have sat down and said, you know, either these are my standards as far as my, my morality standard or my ethical standard, but also what I'll put up with from a client or a, 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 a you know, someone that's, that I'm going to work for. You, you've got to decide. I mean, I think if you take any marketing class, one of the first things they're going to tell you is define your product. And the second thing is define your customer and, uh, or your client. You know, how I'm going to say customer a lot because I'm an old guy, hard to teach the old dog new tricks. But but I'm a relationship guy and I try to teach my clients to be relationship people also because it's a much better model. I, at least I believe so. Truly agree with that. The relationship is everything today and we are in a relationship business. Now that brings in the standard as to 
even how many service advisors a shop has. And I've seen seen shops have, uh, you know, one service advisor serving five techs. The person has no time. And and 20, 25 cars a day. How do you take care of a client when you have 25 cars a day? Exactly. You know, when... When you decide what your business is and what you're going to be and you decide who your client is, that almost dictates a lot of the rest or most of the rest. So that creates a standard for what I, how I price myself. That creates a, a standard for um, you know, how many techs I have and how many service advisors within my business so that I can serve my, my client well uh, and do the right thing. I think one of the things that gets forgotten, you know, um, I could, I could go on 10 rants here. Um, I'm not going, I'm not going to no time, but it becomes about car count and putting more bodies through your shop and not about running a good business that is a profitable business where everyone's happy. And it should be about running a good profitable business where everyone's happy. Whether you have two cards a day or, or 200, it should fit your business and, and how you're going to take care of your clients. And so the trick is, and the standard is, I don't want to be busy. I want to be steady. When I'm steady, I have control of the time in the shop, the time with each client. That's my professional responsibility. Hey, I'm with Brian Weeks from ATC Auto Center. Brian, why Jasper engines and transmissions? So I think Jasper, the reason why we uh, chose to deal primarily with Jasper is uh, the quality of the product. And the people. I know that it is a uh, associate-owned company, but it's more about the people. They do what they do uh, in this industry that is tough, and they stay on top of the cutting-edge engineering, changing and maybe developing ways around uh, known problems and issues. So they're adding value. They're making things better. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, they're taking a situation that you may have a common failure with and going in taking it apart, going through the engineering, the R&D department, saying, okay, how can we make this better? And then from that standpoint, it comes to us that at the end of the day, the end user gets much more value for the dollar that they spend. Hey, Brian, thanks for your time. Carm, thank you. Guys, I got to interrupt here. Uh, what, what I'm pulling from the last about eight minutes is standards in your business become certain KPIs that you manage to. And, and, and the thought that I had was I have so many service writers per tech or, you know, per, you know, car, daily car count. And if you are feeling that pressure that your current standards are affording you success, then you need to take a look at your own standards and say, hey, we, we maybe have to make some changes. I have a, I have a, a, a great short story. Um, uh, I went Years and years ago, I was looking for a job uh, managing shop, and I went to an interview here in Utah for a company, and, and, and I was talking to the CEO of the company, had six locations, and he said, you know, I had to have two of my managers arrested for stealing from the company. And I said, uh, wow, that's, that's unusual. I said, um, uh, what do you pay your, your managers for your facilities? And this is not that long ago. It's probably 15 years ago. He said, we pay him $24,000 a year to manage one of our facilities. And I said, I said, can you live on $24,000 a year? Can you feed your kids and send them to college and, you know, and, and survive on? He goes, well, heck, heck no. See, this is a guy who put himself in that position. He put his managers in a position where in order to survive, they had to steal from him. And at the shop, how does this relate to car count? Well, 
if you want your guys to do a good comprehensive inspection because you, you've built a client and, and, and I want to have a relationship and that client expects me to give them good information about their vehicle so they can make the right decisions and, and, and you run too many cars. Let's give this technician three waiters and say, hey, do a good inspection, but you got 20 minutes to do each of these waiter oil changes and let's get them out of here. Now, you just put that technician in a position where it's impossible for them to do their job. They can either get the car in and out quickly or they can do an inspection, but they cannot do both at the same time. And so I recommend, certainly in the models that I teach, I don't even have waiters in my shop. In most of my shops, they, they will not bring a waiter. It's one of the standards because the waiter customer is not thinking correctly. Uh, we don't have the time to look the car over. There's, a, there's this, this idea in, in my world that my job as a, as a shop owner is to make sure that my customer's car is taken care of. And if everyone in my business gets it, fully understands it. We don't do the wrong things. We do the right things. We, we, we schedule people correctly. We, we bring them in with ample time to let our technician do a good inspection on the car. We give our service advisor time to estimate the job and sit down and really talk to the customer and, and give them good information. And we help our customers make good decisions. Now, if I'm, if everybody gets that, if that's the culture, and it's, I talk about religion because religion's the, you know, it's kind of the, actually we could probably talk about Democrats and, and, and Republicans right now. <laughs> it, they're so, they're so um, in, imbued in who they are that they don't know how to be anything else. That's, that's religion. We need a religion of taking care of our customers' cars in our business so that we don't do the wrong things and we do the right things, which also then generate dollars out the bottom line, which is the purpose of me being here is to create wealth and take care of my family and, and take care of the families of the people that I work with. And you're working with them and you're talking about yeah. standards of execution and how many shops actually put that standard of execution in writing to their team. And uh, very few do because most employers do not explain the standards and have conversations with their team about standards and how we're going to do business and why do we want to do it this way and what's in it for you and what's in it for the company. Standards of execution has to be in place. So I, I, Cecil, your music to my ears. Huh. I'll, I'll I got I got to add one more thing here because there's also a minimum standard of performance. And if I define that, and, and I start talking about that in my job interview, I'm going to not only attract the better, the better employee or the better potential employee, but I also know when I, I need to get rid of somebody because they don't meet that standard. And, and so we had in my shop and in the, in, in the way that we teach our clients, minimum standards of, of, of work and what you do and how you do it. Um, uh, for my technicians, if they couldn't do, if you worked with me for a month or two and you couldn't do seven and a half hours of legitimate productivity out of my shop, meaning you, you did it, you, we build it, the customer paid it. You, you couldn't be in the shop. You, you didn't fit my championship team. Right. Um, and I, I just think we just don't do enough of that because I don't think we understand who we really are from the beginning. We didn't set the standard for the business. We just, I'm fixing cars. That's what I know how to do. And I really hope that at the end of the month, there's some money left in the pile. Um, I don't think that most shop owners really understand how much control they really can have over their business. Um, as opposed to, 
I'm, I'm at the mercy of the weather and the, the location and the economy and all of that. And it really begins with who we are and what we're willing to do for our clients. You know, I was driving a, a customer home. Um, I, I think it was earlier this week, even she said to me, uh, well, she was asking who I was, honestly, cause I stay fairly well hidden in the shop. Sometimes I, I told her who I was and, and she said how much she appreciated the shop. And it's the first shop she's ever found that would actually, um, tell them everything that their vehicle needed not and wouldn't try to sell it to them just was informing her basically and then would give her a game plan on how to take care of it to maintain it back to the standard that it needs to be to be reliable and she said you know how many shops she had been to and never had she found that experience and she was so grateful to find it so much so in fact that she was now you're speaking of, of religion cecil she was preaching the gospel if you will of of my shop to her own mother's and, and her mother's asking her, why are you driving, you know, 15, 20 minutes to this shop when there's one five minutes down the road? And she explained it to her, basically almost forced her mother to go to the shop. And now her mother won't go anywhere else either, you know, because of the same, the same experience. And, and so there's so many shops out there still that are, they're not doing that yet. They, they haven't figured it out that it's, it's not, they're afraid to tell the customer the whole story because what if the customer won't do any of the work and I'll, and I'll lose that business. You know, there's so much fear that they're going off of, as opposed to just doing what's right, just doing what the customer needs, what the customer wants and you know, what's going to service the vehicle the best and just let them make the informed decision. And usually if they're the right customer, they'll, they'll make the right choice. Great story because uh, obviously her experience came from the fact that the standards in your company are have have been defined and they're being met. You create that culture of taking care of that client uh, from and their vehicle from start to finish, but but there's so many other pieces to it. I mean, we we had you know, when you talk about standards, we had a whole description of standards for the car. You know, what is a leak? What is a seep? What is a drip? Uh, yeah. When do we tell the customer, I'm sorry, you can't drive that car? Uh, you know, when do we suggest coolant hoses or, or shocks and struts? What, you know, what are the defining things that say this is legitimate, this is not legitimate in our business, at least for our, our, our business? And, I, I, you know, it all comes from right from the what kind of business do I want to run and, and what do I want my clients saying about me? I want my clients saying, oh, my gosh, I'm willing to drive wherever to get that kind of service and care from somebody who, who really genuinely cares about my car. You know, you're probably, uh, we have shop owners out there probably listening to this that say, yeah, that sounds all very good. Sure, sure. But it's not real world. And I think that's where you go back to your culture of learning. It has to be ongoing. And uh, you're mentioning, Cecil, about the staff and, and making sure that they have a standard and they are at a certain standard. I always call it the bus door is always open. I'm looking for a team. 365 days in the year. And, you know, if I have a level one tech that is trying to get to level two or a level two tech trying to get to level three, that person has their back covered by the, by management. But if a person has no desire to improve themselves and continuously learn in this business, the bus door is open. We will provide every opportunity for you to be the very best that you want to be but you have to have a standard that you want to achieve excellence. And that is continuous learning. And management's got to do the same thing, continuously learning as well. 
Well, you, you certainly have to set the example, but I think I, I think that uh, Jude really kind of touched on something that I think is really important. It's the fear that if I get rid of that guy, what am I going to get, or, or where do I find a tech, or where do I find a service advisor? I mean, I know the guy sucks, and I know that, but he's. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard. But you know what? He shows up at eight o'clock every morning. But he sucks, right? I mean, who cares if he shows up at eight o'clock? He sucks. He he doesn't care about the business. I mean, what do you do with a tech that won't go to classes? You get rid of him because he's not going to be worth anything. If he is today, two years from now, he's not going to be. Um, you know, the, the, we we accept we accept crappy customers in our business or crappy clients. Uh, because we, we didn't set a standard and we're afraid we can't go out and get others. Uh, we accept uh, crappy employees because we didn't set a standard and we're afraid that we can't go out and get others. I, I, I think there's a loyalty factor, and I think you mentioned it. If you're, if you're making the effort and you work for me and you care, I'm going to do everything I can to help you get where you need to go. If you don't, if you're not making the effort, I'm going to throw you out of that bus door so fast you, you, you won't even know what happened to you because I can't have people that will not take care of my clients on my team, right? Um, uh, if I'm going to win the Super Bowl or the NBA championship or whatever, I don't have bad players on my team. Uh, I love where we're going. Um, as one of uh, as Bambi, uh, who, who's with us on Zoom, says, "Preach it, guys! Preach it!" <laughs> Thank you so much for this. So I took a few notes while you guys were doing such a fabulous job of bringing this whole piece together. I heard the words culture. I heard quality of work. I heard execution. I heard training. I heard diversity. I heard behaviors. I heard processes and procedures all under the envelope, if you will, on the umbrella of standards. And since we've talked, you know, you've, you've, you've kind of just hit on them a little bit. Any one of these that you'd like to dive into a little bit? Would processes, procedures, training, culture kind of be way up there on the top of a standards list that we can kind of dive into? Let me make a statement before we move that forward. I think that a lot of shop owners, a lot of business owners, they look at the list of things and it seems to be very overwhelming. You know, Cecil or, or Bob or Jude, you're telling me I, I need goals. You're telling me, well, I don't know what my shop's going to do. You're telling me I have to put standards in place. You're telling me I need, uh, you know, an ethics statement. You're telling me I need processes and procedures. Oh my gosh, this is absolutely overwhelming for me. You know, start at the beginning, decide what you're going to be. Uh, I have a, I have a client. I just got a message this morning from, uh, uh, not from him, but from one of my guys and, and says, these guys are on fire. They were, they're losing money doing about 13,000 a, a, a month in this, uh, excuse me, a week in this beautiful facility for technicians. And, uh, the owner got tired of losing money and said, you know what? I need to make money. Let's get this thing together. And we went out there and built a business plan, created the goals. Uh, you know, we started putting the package together so he knows what to do. And, and today, last week they did uh, 27,000 and this week they're probably going to do 31. And it, nice. it really, it began with the owner deciding I don't want second best anymore for myself. Right. And, and, and not being afraid of that list. You know, if you never start on the list because you're afraid of the list, nothing gets done and your business is going to go into obscurity in business. There's no floating. You're going up or you're going down. That's all there is. 
And, and so, um, and, and too many guys get overwhelmed with what, you know, I need, I need process. I wrote an article about 26 processes that are necessary to run a shop, uh, 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 15 years ago. And today I would tell you that's more than 26 processes. It's probably 36 or 40, but you take one at a time and you deal with the person that's, that's doing that process the best in your company. Bob mentioned inspections in my company. I really hated it when I would give one uh, car to one tech and he would inspect it and he come up with a list and then he goes off and, and you know, he's got to go to the dentist or something. Somebody else gets the car and they inspect the car and they go, wait a minute, he missed this and this. And he said it needs this, but I don't think it needs this. I need to teach my technicians how to do an inspection so that if I give that car to all of my tech, any one of them, the list is the same. That's only right. I mean, it's either broken or it's not broken. It's, it's either, uh, uh, you know, where worn or it's not worn. Um, and we need to come up with the, the standard for that. Don't let the, don't let the list overwhelm you pick something and get it done today. Uh, Kaizen, small incremental improvements in your business consistently throughout. You know, you talk about the overwhelming, and I've seen that all my life with shop owners. They get overwhelmed by even just attending one class. And I've always tried to educate people that to change the business to a higher standard takes time. And realistically, too many owners try to change too much at once. And I say only change a maximum of two things at once. Work on those two things until they're in place. The accountability, the standard is in place and it's working. Then you move on to the next two items and you keep that going forward. And that's why to really move a business forward is a two to three year process because there are things to look after. But trying to do it all at once, you implode because even the staff is confused. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? And you constantly have to go back and continue to improve and, uh, and, and, and visit what you implemented, what you designed to see if it's still working. Exactly. Well, there's, a, there's this idea that, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some look at my business and I want to improve in, in some area. Um, I need to create trust with my employees so that when uh, I lead them, they, they're able to be led. Meaning that, you know, last time you had us do something, Cecil, <laughs> it worked. Uh, so the more trust I build with my employees, the more likely I am to, to make real change in my company because they trust me and they believe what I have to say. And then if I get my employees involved in that also, and they get to make some of the decisions and come up with some of the ideas. Now I, I've got a, a culture of that. And now my team is moving at a faster clip at a faster pace. But here's what happens when I, when I bring something in or too many things in as, as Bob mentions, um, I, I, okay, let's, we're going to do inspections and we're going to do good inspections, right? And so we, maybe even we give them a sheet or we, we bring in a DVI and we train them how to do it. <clears throat> and then there's no quality control behind it. And so, uh, the, the, it's tough because we're changing our, uh, our, our, our methodology. It's tough because we're changing what we do and we're trying to change our habits and, uh, and we don't change. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, several work orders go through, they don't have an inspection and nobody says anything. And, and three weeks later, what's happened to my trust with my employee? I said we were going to do something. I did the initial effort, but I didn't do the follow-up and the follow-through. And now I've actually broken trust. And now it's much more difficult to get something in place. So I have a rule in my company. If we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it for a minimum of 60 days. And at the end of 60 days, if it didn't work, if we hated it, 
We'll all make a decision and we'll go back to the old way, but we are going to do it until we do it right, uh, no matter what. And, and, and really, I will sacrifice a, a ton of things to get whatever it is I said we were going to do done um, because that's my word. That's my bond. That's the trust I'm building with my employees. And if I don't do what I say and say what I do, I can't build trust with my employees. And if I don't have trust, they won't follow. Doing so, excuse me, Bob. I, I thought of the words tough through it. If it was worth doing, it's worth doing right. I think that's what you're saying, Cecil. That's a, that's a great concept, 60 days, Bob. It's, it's a matter of getting the staff, as Cecil says, involved and making sure that they understand the standards that we want to achieve. And most, and most employers will say, I want my staff to buy into that. I, I don't want them to buy into it. I want them to believe in it. Own it. And when, and when they believe in it, it. they're now partners in the business. And when you yeah. have a team of partners, your business moves forward. And that is the employer's responsibility to build that team of trust, and they believe in the standards that are being set. You have to really sit down and have a meeting with with the entire staff and discuss what is the one thing that if we got it implemented, accomplished, completed, whatever, would launch our business forward? What is the one biggest thing? And you're going to have some debate, but ultimately you're going to go with whatever the unanimous thing is, and you get that buy-in. And you get those people uh, behind you on it and everybody's involved in it and you go after it and you get that one accomplished and then you come back and you do it again. And, and, and so I, I totally agree uh, with what you're saying, Bob, two, two is an absolute maximum. Uh, it's sometimes even better just, just one, because even, you know, the, the whole multitasking thing, you guys probably heard the story that, you know, that that's a, it's a falsehood. It, it actually came from the computer industry many years ago because computers, uh, can they can process so fast? It looks like they can process two things at a time, but they actually can't. What they're doing is they're switching back and forth between tasks uh, so quickly that it looks like it's doing two at a time. So not even a computer can actually multitask. It has to go from one thing to the next thing and the back to the other thing. And we can't do that nearly as fast as a computer or as efficiently. So don't bother trying. Just pick your one thing, go after it, get it done knock it off the list and then go get the next one. I mean, the list is going to keep growing and you're going to keep adding to it and adjusting it and, you know, putting new stuff in it, but just go after one, just pick one. Jude mentioned, uh, you know, you need to uh, have a meeting with your employees and have discussion. I'm going to tell you, you need to have a meeting all the time. And I don't mean every day or every minute. I mean, a, a formal set aside 45 minutes. We're going to discuss one topic or, or two topics. We're going to come up with ideas. We're going to, solve problems. You have to create the culture of doing that on a routine basis, even if it's difficult at first. And I have too many owners that tell me we don't have time to do that. So we're not solving problems. We're not discussing. We're not getting them uh, 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 to see the vision. Uh, we're not getting them on the same page um, because uh, this because we won't take the time to have that regular communication. The number one problem in automotive business today is it's not car count. Uh, it's not crappy technicians. It's lack of good quality communication. And, man, and lack of leadership and management is right behind it. Totally true. And, you know, you can do a constant communication by having a morning scrum. A morning scrum is six to eight minutes tops. And all you're doing is recounting as to what the status is of the business in hours, for example. What we averaged yesterday. What we got on our plate today. 
Let's pay attention, guys. We can do this. And just keep the communication constant. And how's our new process working? Yeah. yeah. Or what do we need to do? If it isn't working, what do we need to do to make it work? Um, you know, uh, why did we start this thing? You know, um, not to end it, not to just let it go by the wayside and go back to what we were doing, but to improve on our lives. Um, a, a good process in my business not only puts more money in the bank, but it makes the lives of the people that do it better lives. You know, I ha- that's a great point, Cecil. I have a, a client I've gone through this with where they were operating six days a week. And uh, I believe in operating Monday to Friday. And uh, yeah. I actually, I, you know, we had to prove that the Saturday business was not profitable. And they finally saw that it was not. Why are you doing this? It screwed up people's lives. They didn't have weekends. They didn't have any family life. And, you know, you have to have a standard in your business where you actually have a staff that enjoys life outside of the business and that you can set that standard for them. And then you have the internal standards, how how to work each and every day. But we also have a standard that you have a family life outside of this business. I, we, we, we had a, a, an education standard. Our guys needed 48 hours worth of education every year, uh, no matter who you were, including the manager, the owner of the business. And, um, you know, we would actually, if you came and you said, Hey, I want to take this course on, you know, uh, uh, time management. Um, I would say, great, that counts. Anything that would improve your life as an employee or as a staff member or a team member improves my life in my, in my business because you're happier. And if you're happier, you're going to perform at a, at a higher level, uh, in, in my, in my company and, and doing what we do. I like what you just said. Uh, you set a standard of 48 hours, 40. I, I interview people I hear all over the board. There isn't a top shop operator today that doesn't have a standard of training. Not difficult. Not difficult to do at all. It's hard to implement it. And <laughs> Any ideas on how to make that happen? Make that ingrained as part of the culture? You start, you've got to look at planning your training in advance. And I find too many shops make last minute decisions as to what they're going to go to because it sounded good at the time. Uh, you know, you've got to look at what courses do I want to achieve in the next year? And where are they? And what topics do I want to make sure I get embraced with? And I've always encouraged people to find the agenda of a class and even contact the instructor yourself to make sure you're going to have your topics covered and in the depth that you need. But people just don't seem to pay attention to that. And then you hear, and I'm sure Cecil and Jude have heard it too. I mean, you hear, oh, it's too expensive. Give me a break. Oh. Investment, you see a tremendous return. And it's that, too expensive. It, it's too expensive not to educate yourself. That's exactly. I would also tell you, Carmen. It's that. It's that idea of this is what we're going to do uh, from from leadership uh, down to the staff. We're we're going to educate ourselves. And if you work here, if I hire you, we're going to talk about education. If I even think about you're going to be hired, because it's part of our requirement and it's in our pay plans. Frankly. Uh, if you get your 48 hours, you're going to get paid more. And if you don't get your 48 hours, at some point you won't be here. You can't because you're not the kind of person that I want to put in front of my clients. You're not living up to the standards of the company. That's right. If you have a a, a shop owner, or, you know, a business out there, because I know there's a lot that are struggling. I, I see it on, you know, the 
auto shop owner groups and things like that. And, and there's people in there that, you know, they're excited about, you know, doing 5,000 a week and, you know, good on them. I mean, that's, that's great that they're, you know, growing to that, that place. I mean, to a guy who's doing, you know, 30 a week or something that, that doesn't sound very good, but, you know, but for guys like that, I mean, it's going to maybe be hard to be able to make a, a big investment to go to one of the big national shows, you know, like vision or ATE in Seattle or those types of things. Um, they're, they're definitely worth every penny in that. So, I mean, your ROI and those are huge, but if, if all you could do, like if your budget is literally zero, cause you're, you can't even barely make payroll or pay, you're not even paying yourself yet. You could at least sit down with your staff, you know, maybe buy them lunch on Fridays and sit down and, and watch an episode of, of this. I mean, you know, pull one up that, that, I mean, there's so many of them on there now that if you can't find a topic, I'm sure you can let Carm know and he'll go get it done for you. But every topic under the sun for an auto shop owner and, and everybody else is, is in here. And this isn't even the only one. It just happens to be one of the best ones, of course. But, um, but, well, you know, you got to say that. So <laughs> thank you, Jude. But uh, I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. It is. Um, it's not just because I'm on it. It's, you know, it's, it's legitimate. <laughs> thank it's, you because, again, it's because Bob's on it. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, okay, I'll get back here. Uh, so if, if you sat down and you watched one, one episode, I mean, go through, find a subject matter of something that's important to you. Uh, watch it, have, have a conversation, have a discussion around it. I mean, how, how is that not training? It absolutely is. And it's, it will help get you to, you know, I mean, to where you're now, instead of five a week, you're doing 10 and, and with 10, you can do a lot more 10 than you can with five. So now you can increase your budget and be able to kind of take those, those stepping stones. You know, it's the same thing. I know, I know Bob and Cecil here are the same thing. I can't afford to bring on a coach. I can't, and, and some of them are right because some of them, let's be honest, if we were to bring the full coaching potential to a business, it would literally explode. It's not ready. It's like, you know, putting rocket fuel into a Lego toy or something. So they, they have to grow to that place to where they can even be able to handle that kind of, you know, RPM ramping things up. You have to make a commitment to your craft. Um, uh, years ago, I decided I was going to be a technician. And um, I, I, I took classes. Even though my owner didn't support those classes, I went out and learned how to do variable venturi carburetors and how to rebuild axles. And and I took every single class that I could take and, and because I wanted to be the best technician. When I decided I wanted to be a consultant, um, I, I hooked up with uh, uh, Jim Hunt, uh, ESI, uh, I hooked up with uh, uh, um, uh, Bob O'Connor, uh, RLO. Uh, you know, I hooked up with everybody that I could get training from and begged, borrowed, and stole uh, everything I could so that I could learn as much as possible because this is how I'm going to make my living. You know, and now I'm, now I'm kind of on the other side of that, and, and, and it's put me in a, a fairly nice position. It's allowed me to raise my family well. Um, give my children opportunities. Uh, uh, and someday I hope it allows me to retire well, but you need to make a commitment. It, it isn't just something you do. Um, it's your life. And, and, and too many of these guys, are lives are passing by as they're just doing automotive repair in, instead of doing it well and, and really, you know, really understanding it and really maximizing their potential. Yeah. And cars. Yeah. By the way, Jude, thank you so much for your confidence in what we're doing here in, in the, the catalog library. You know, when I heard you say, you know, just 
go listen to a show, go watch a show. I started I started to think about the incremental changes that education, no matter of what type, can make to a business if the plan if there's a serious plan of accountability in and you're committing to change and you you offered my support to the industry believe you me i do emails every week when someone says i thought i heard do you have an idea and and i may send a, a collection of episodes for people to listen uh we have over 400 now out there for people and one of the things that was talked about at the top of the show it was about the ideal customer. Well, we've done two shows on the ideal customer, the avatar, and how to define that. So it's it's right there. And if and if that's a big part of b- d- developing a standard, of course, we've had a, a great Town Hall Academy on that twice. I, I guess I asked the question about 10 minutes ago. First of all, I love where you guys went with this. This was great. I love the banter. But I asked the question, and I, I tossed up a bunch of you know standards. In our remaining time here, uh, you want to pick one and, and dig down, or or you just want to keep keep the open forum? Should we talk about the value and the reasons of procedures, processes, operations? Should we talk about culture, quality of work? Should we talk about execution? Uh, you know, you you seem to want to talk about process, so let's let's have that conversation for the next few minutes. Yeah, um, um, I've decided that I want to have a certain type of client. Um, that client expects a certain level of customer service from us and uh, rightfully so. They also expect us uh, um, in some way to take care of their vehicle. Um, and, and if I'm going to do that, I need to create procedures and processes on how to do those things. Inspection procedure. Here's what we do. I have a three-page list of how we inspect a car because I built that when we did, you know, when I was running the shop. And... Uh, and, and this is the process that we teach. Now, now why, do we, why do we have a, a documented written process? Um, for one, because it makes it difficult to change. Because if I bring a strong-willed person into my company and they want to do it a certain way and we don't have a documented process, eventually my, my process is going to get changed to their process instead of mine. They're, they're more strong-willed. They're gonna, right. Each bay has a fiefdom. Yes. No, no. The whole, the whole shop is the shop. There is no fiefdom. I know. It's a dictatorship. Right. Well, it's a benevolent dictator. Excuse me. It is a democratic republic run by a benevolent dictator. That's what it is. Okay. Now, now, now here's the other part of that, Carm. I'm going to have people come and go, like it or not. I I might have the best crew in the world. They they may all be family. They may all love me. But frankly, at some point in time, someone's going to leave my business and I'm going to have to bring somebody else in. When I have a documented process, it is so much easier to teach and train that person and bring that person up to speed much more quickly, and it creates a consistent result. And here's one of the, here's one of the most important things about your business. You need to be consistent. If I'm consistently uh, uh, um, one way, and then one day I change, everybody goes, oh my gosh, what happened to Cecil? He changed. Um, uh, you would be better off to be um, uh, consistently angry, mean, and, and unhappy than to be happy one day and angry the next day. You will confuse the people around you, including your clients and your staff. Um, process creates consistency of result, and process creates consistency of profit, and process makes it easier to teach people how to do it and, and create that consistency within my business. And my customers want and expect consistency clients, whether I like it or not. So I've got to do that. 
it's very, very important that we have uh, a legitimate defined processes. And there probably is a list of maybe 30 or 36 that I need. How do I answer the phones? Uh, we want the phones answered the same way. Makes our customer more comfortable. Uh, how do I write up an estimate? Now, that might be partially defined by my software, but also I can have some things in there where I say, I'm going to ask this question or we're going to do this here. Uh, how do I write up a, a, an estimate? Meaning uh, when my tech uh, finds the work, how does he get that information to, to my service advisor? Uh, that's really, really important because if it's not done right, a lot of time is wasted and we become inefficient and not productive and it costs the company a lot of money and it costs the employees money, frankly, and it costs the customers because their cars aren't done when they're supposed to be done, which is the number one failure in shops today and that is to meet your promise times with your clients. Um, process doesn't fix all that, but it certainly helps me fix all that. I have, uh, if, if somebody out there is is like overwhelmed at this thought that Cecil's bringing up, um, there's a great resource. And again, it's it's free, so I, you can't give me the, I can't afford it excuse. Uh, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Sam Carpenter. He runs a business out of uh, Oregon, and he wrote a book called Work the System. And it's a fascinating read because it actually tells his life story of his struggle through his business and then what finally turned it around for him. But he walks you through step-by-step how to build systems inside of your business and how, how, to, how to find them, how to build them, how to, how to build a culture where they, they continue to be revamped over time internally as we find a better way of doing it, a more efficient way of doing it. So we, you can ultimately you'll end up with like the most efficient running systems possible because they, they self-heal, if you will, because the team is all on board with the idea and the concept and wants to participate. And so, you know, one, one example he would give in there is like, you know, how do you get money from your business into your bank account, right? Because there's, there's a process of how that has to happen. Well, back in the day, none of it was done online or whatever, right? So you go from a system of, I have to put it in the bag, zip the bag, close, take the bag to the bank, you know, blah, blah, right? Well, now it's deposited online or whatever. And so that the new system is you log in, you, you know, upload this, you do that and, and go that. So anyway, it's a, it's a great resource. Sam Carpenter worked the system. I highly recommend it. There's another uh, great book, in my opinion, um, uh, Michael Gerber, The E-Myth. Oh, yeah. uh, revisited a, a wonderful book. I'm laughing uh, while he, uh, Jude's talking because I'm thinking I need to write a process on how to manage my processes. <laughs> uh, that's that's that, that seems that seems all on your mind, Cecil. Right. It seems insane, but it, it's the truth. You need to understand that if I do this this way and I involve my employees this way, that over a long period of time, that process is able to be changed and change correctly so that it, it always gets the right result. And when we're writing processes, we always start with the result we want. Um, you know, how am I going to do this so that I get the result that I want? That's actually in that book, by the way. And I forgot to mention, if you, if you Google the guy and go to the website, you can download the book for free. You can get the audio book version of it for free. All he asks for is like your email address. So it's, it's a free resource. One more time on the name. Sam Carpenter is the name and Work the System is the name of the book. Yeah, I bought uh, paper copies of it too because I mean he only the guy the guy's crazy. He runs a great business, but he he sells his book even just for the cost of publishing it. So it's like seven bucks if you want to buy it from him. You go on Amazon, it's twice that much. You go to his website, he sells it to you for just the cost of publishing it. So anyway, he makes his money other ways. Coaches, how often when you take on a new client do you see that the systems are really um, not not in place? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Nine ninety nine point 
nine. And the only reason I say that is because I hate absolutes. And I know that one day I'm going to walk into a shop and they're going to have their processes in order. It can happen. It's a pleasure to meet a new client that actually has half of the processes in place. Or has any. Yeah. And, you know, they, they're moving forward. Um, but the thing is about the processes is that they've got to change and they're continuously changing as your business moves forward. They're living so you're, not, you're not setting a standard that this is it for the rest of my life. No, it's going to constantly be under review and we're going to make sure that we're always changing because we live in a very highly skilled business now. It's a, it's a profession. It's not the trade days are done. It's a constant that I use all the time. So we have to be continuously looking at it and how do we evolve and what's in it for everyone when we go that way. And, and we're creating a culture in our business of not only writing process and documenting how we do things and what we do, but also reviewing that on a regular basis so that we know that it's up to date and it's always, again, getting the right result. Exactly. Thank you so much, guys. I can't tell you how much I appreciate. Uh, wow. Smart guys. I, that's probably why I hang out with you guys. <clears throat> Great discussion. Uh, the next business coaches lab, watch out for it. Maybe seven or eight weeks down the road. Don't forget about the one we previously did on leadership. It was episode uh, town hall Academy episode seven. Thank you so much to Bob Greenwood from automotive aftermarket e-learning center. And Oh, by the way, if you go to the show notes page, you know, on any of their episodes, you, you can, you can see their extended bio and you could see all the previous episodes. And I also believe I may have a link to their companies on there too. Cecil Bullard, thank you very much. The Institute for Business Automotive Business Excellence, Jude Larson from the ACT Group, and of course, we missed Murray and Rick this 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 time around, but maybe they'll be back the next time. And watch out for that new show coming at you for the record. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Bye, guys. Take care. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time, 